I'm Blair Helsing, the producer of this podcast. This is episode seven of North Beach Now. Thank you for listening. This episode continues coverage of the Beat Museum in North Beach, located on Broadway between Kearney and Columbus, north side of the street. I'd like to begin by quoting Lawrence Ferlinghetti, as I did in episode six. This is a story about misperception, and it involves Alan Watts, one of my favorite philosophers. Quoting Ferlinghetti, One time I saw Alan Watts at a memorial concert at the Opera House when Ravi Shankar played with Ali Akbar Khan. I think it was Ravi Shankar's 60th birthday. About a year before, I had visited him at his houseboat in Sausalito. I was looking for a houseboat to live on, so I thought he would know if there were any others available. But he didn't know of anything. Then, at this concert, at the intermission... I saw him coming toward me wearing Buddhist robes. The press of people sort of pushed us together, and as I passed him I said, I'm still looking. I meant that I was still looking for a houseboat to rent, but he gave me this look like I had said something very profound and spiritual, clasped both hands together, and bowed his head. He'd thought I was looking for a great spiritual nirvana, but I was just looking for an apartment. Unquote. This is from a book of interviews with Ferlinghetti, Jello Biafra, Henry Rollins, and Billy Childish. I recommend this book. It's from Research Publications. I've posted a link to the book on our Twitter feed, now underscore beach, and on the podcast Tumblr blog. In episode six, I toured the Beat Museum with founder and director Jerry Semino. In this current episode, the focus is on Estelle Semino, who is Jerry's wife. We spoke on November 20th, 2018. Estelle talks about the origins of the museum in Monterey. There, she was a keeper of beat-related objects, but she came to her interest slowly. She explains why and how. Football is a factor. Paul Horn and Patti Smith are mentioned, too, along with Estelle's appreciation of the female beats and the spiritual aspects of the literature. Jerry speaks to what makes the Beat Museum unique in the world. Here's Estelle. We had rented a space on Franklin Street in Monterey. It was a beautiful old building. It's just a classic building. And the intention was on the lower level, it was more of a retail type space with a lot of glass. And I'm a career coach, career counselor, career consultant, whatever you want to call me. And so I wanted to start a career business, career-oriented business, but I wanted to make it a little bit more retail. And so I rented a space, and it was a large space, and it had a very large back room there that I could close, and it ended up, I was thought I would use the whole space, but it ended up that I just used that back space. And then the front space was totally empty. And so Jerry came up with the idea of maybe we should, you know, put all my beat memorabilia in here and see if there's interest in people wanting to see it. And so that is exactly what we did. So the front was the Beat Museum and the back was my career counseling business called Career Action Center. It was kind of odd because people had to actually march through the museum to come see me in the back, but it was quite unusual. And we actually had some, um, we had an event there with Paul Horn. Yeah, I remember that. 
with his photography and Paul Horn had you know he was um, a musician mm-hmm. um, and played the flute and he was world famous yes um, inside the Taj Mahal and um, was one of his most famous um, records and he came there and we had a photo exhibit of his work um, and my father actually grew up with Paul and knew Paul when he was young um, and that was the connection to Paul, not that, you know, my dad and him really connected after they grew up, but still it was a connection there. And so that was a lot of fun. And um, eventually, um, Jerry and I both realized that the Beat Museum didn't belong in Monterey. We would get visitors in there, but the foot traffic in Monterey is not like it is here in San Francisco. Sure. Even though it is a tourist destination, it's a wonderful space. And, um, and Steinbeck kind of owns that area. Sure. Correct, yeah. <laughs> correct. But yeah, a lot of people knew, you know, know about the beats and know about um, Kerouac. And I remember when I had my coffee house bookshop back in the 1990s on Alvarado Street, which is a main street in Monterey, is that we would sell, you know, Kerouac and Ginsburg and Ferlinghetti. And what we found there is, and I don't know if you've shared this, but what we found is that there was great interest in uh, reading those writers. And so what we did, or what I did actually, because I did all the ordering, I started to order more and more of those books. And then we found there's a lot of interest in, you know, it, it just increased dramatically. And so we would then order posters and music, you know, of that era. And, you know, there was a following. So then we created a print catalog because internet was not available back at that time. And we had all of the various beat authors and works in that print catalog. And we had people sign up for a mailing list. So we would send them the catalog and they could fax in the order. They could mail in the order. They can call in the order net when we got 1-800-Kerouac back in the, I would, I would 1994. say. 1994. 1994. 1995, we had an internet website. It was a, the first website. Wow. And that was early 95. It was wow. Um, and we hired a young man locally to, to build the site for us. Now, at that time, you couldn't order online, but at least those people who, you know, had an, a telephone connection and got on the internet this, as slow as it was back then, but we didn't know better then, they could look at the site and they could order and we would ship all over the world. And it was, you know, it was a signal to us that there was a really good interest in that. And then um, we still, I mean, obviously even today, people order online. We don't have the print catalog. We gave that up a while ago because people just don't look at print catalogs anymore. But that's kind of what the beginnings were at that point in time. It, and it sounds as if you were the only ones doing this sort of curation and, and uh, organization of material and offering it to the public. Yeah, it was and very specialized. Maybe has carried forward all the way through to today. That you things, you have a unique thing we going. We, correct. We're very unique in the sense that, you know, you see exhibits of the beats for three months at a museum or yeah. three months at a college or something. Mm-hmm. We're the only place in the world that's open 362 days a year, and anybody can walk in the door. And there's real value to that. And of course, we're right across the street from City Lights Bookstore here in the heart of North Beach. Um, there's no other place in the world that you can do that. So we think that that's important. And we knew that if we were ever going to make the Beat Museum work, 
there were only two places it could be, Greenwich Village or North Beach. Mm-hmm. And we chose North Beach. <laughs> I don't know if Der- uh, Jerry ever shared with you the fact that I didn't like the Beats at first. You know, he was a lover of the Beats. Did he share that with you? I had not heard that. Oh, I didn't like them at all because, um, and, and I think some people would feel the same way. There's a lot of negative about the way they live their lives. Not all mm-hmm. of them, but many of them. Mm-hmm. I know you what know, you're saying. Yeah, they were alcoholics. They were drug addicts. Um, you know, Kerouac had a daughter and didn't recognize her. Um, and uh, Cat Neil Cassidy had his family. He was always out and about and womanizing. And uh, I mean, I know he loved his kids, um, but. I felt, you know, that they, you know, didn't live as responsibly as they could or should have. And I know we shouldn't put shoulds on people in life because those are typically unrealistic expectations. But for me, in the beginning, I didn't like that. And then um, I started just to read uh, Kerouac's books. And I started with probably a book that no one starts with, and that was Jack Kerouac's High School Football Days book. What was that called? Vanity of Duois. Vanity of Duois. For some interest, that just intrigued me because I love football. So I picked it up, and I really enjoyed that book. And that showed me that Kerouac was more than just being an alcoholic or irresponsible father or husband. And that he was a great writer, and I'm I'm a big reader, so I read a lot of authors. And then I moved on to some of his other books, like On the Road, of course. And Dharma Bums is my favorite, as are many Desolation Angels. I love Maggie Cassidy, um, so I read a lot of of his different books, and that really gave me a different eye towards you know the beats, not just about who they were and how they lived their lives. Although, you know, it's still a good lesson for people to look at. And um, it's something about them. It's about their story because they're more than just the writings in their story. I mean, their story is, you know, their story is interesting. And you have so much of it here in terms of anecdotes and mini biographies and that sort of thing. In addition to the books you have that are biographies, you have these snapshots and descriptions of what people were doing at certain times and who they were with. Yes. And we were we were real we were really close to Carolyn Cassidy and I have an affinity. I don't know if Jerry shares that and I'm sorry to take over, but I have an affinity I have an affinity. You know, being a woman I have an affinity for the women beats. And you know, women at that time, you know, it was different. Um, especially then our times today with the Me Too movement and, and women being empowered. And, you know, of course, back then women, you know, were empowered, some of them. And I think Carolyn, in many ways, she was a very strong, empowered woman in her own way, but she still, you know, was a product of her time. So mm-hmm. I have an affinity for all of the women beats, you know, Carolyn and Ruth and, you know, Diane. And I've read all their books, Joyce Johnson. So there's something there, you know, for a woman is well even though you know women were again the product of their time at that point it's interesting what we find here because people bring their stories to us Mm -hmm. people who knew the beats walk in the door and say you know in 1955 i was with herbert hunky in new york and this is what happened or uh here's a letter we just put this online the other day a guy walked in the door and said here's some um documents from 1943 when Jack Kerouac was in the Merchant Marine, and he went AWOL, 
and they docked him $2.75 pay. And I said, where did you get this? Who are you? He says, well, I'm not going to give you my name, but I work for the government. And this came out of a government file. <laughs> and you can have it for your archives. And it's amazing the it's types of fun. things that show up. Um, you know, uh, people walk in the door. Patty Smith was here one day and said, uh, hey, where do you get all this stuff? And I said, well, people donated to us. And I said, she goes, I, I got some uh, Gregory Corso items and some things that Alan gave me. I'll get them to you one day. So that's kind of interesting that those are the ways thing comes, they come to us. Famous people and people who don't even want to give their name. And, you know, there, there's a lot of history with regards to the Beats, but there's also a lot of great messages, and I'm sure, you know, Jerry has shared that with you. Um, you know what? I haven't yet. Oh. And maybe I should. Because one of the things that we talk about whenever we get a school group in mm -hmm. is why a 15 or a 20-year-old ought to take note of this. And in my opinion, and this has evolved over time, but everything that a 15 or 20-year-old kid believes to be true about today's world in one way or another could be traced back to the beat generation. Whether it's racial equality, gender equality, gay and lesbian rights, even things like climate change. The Beats would have called it environmentalism. Gary Snyder, Michael McClure writing about saving the whales, saving the dolphins. You know, these values came from the beat generation, got popularized, passed on to the hippies, and then went around the world. And today, for a 15-year-old, those values are pretty much a no-brainer for most of them. And I take great pride in the fact that we get to, to get that message out because for me, it's an important message. You know, it's a it's a message of hope. It's a message of possibility versus so much negativity that we see in the world. I also love the fact that you know Allen Ginsberg. He was Jewish and he converted to Buddhism. I was brought up Jewish. I'm not a Buddhist, but I believe in you know the Buddhism and the spirituality of that. You know, Michael McClure, Gary Snyder, Buddhist. Um, Obviously, Jack, you know, was always a Catholic, but he had a real spiritual side to him, and he he tended at one time to to really, you know, delve into more of the Buddhist beliefs. Um, and so I like that, you know, that spirituality of you know being present, being in the moment. I think that's all any of us have, whether you know we're very young today or we're a lot older. All we have is now. The past is memories. The future is expectation. So we are really essentially right now, and that's what you know Buddhism is about. It's about clearing the mind, clearing the thoughts, and just being present. And that's something that I really like. You know uh, about many of the beats. Mm -hmm. There's a great deal of the literature that will reinforce that. Yes. If you dig into it. Yes. Correct. Yeah, definitely. So, Scripture of the Golden Eternity um, is is a book that you know Jack wrote, and that's very Buddhist-like. He would probably never say it was Buddhist, but very Buddhist-like. Um, and you know, Alan really delve, delve into it a lot too in his, his writings as well. The Beat Museum website is Kerouac.com, K-E-R-O-U-A-C. That website is mobile-friendly, and it has much interesting content. Our guests were Estelle and Jerry Semino. The Beat Museum tweets at Kerouac.com, and they have a Facebook page. This wraps up Episode 7 of North Beach Now. The podcast recently began blogging. It's hosted on Tumblr, 
and the address is listed in our Twitter feed, but it's easy to find. Just search Tumblr for North Beach Now Podcast. We're on Twitter as well at now underscore beach. Feel free to follow and reach us there. All podcasts will be available at our SoundCloud channel, plus Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Thanks again for listening to North Beach Now, signing off from Telegraph Hill.